Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on topics they're definitely not experts on. I am Neil, the, uh, well, one of the comedians. <laughs> yeah, that's Slides a fair description. I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm a TikToker are, now. Yeah, all right. I'm officially a TikToker because now I have more followers on TikTok than any other social media platform. So I'm no longer a YouTuber. I cannot lay claim to that word, which I've always said was our N-word. But now I think TikToker is the N-words for YouTubers. You just keep falling into them. Yeah, I'm just going into You're a very controversial man, aren't you? (laughs) The more and more progressive and oppressed groups on social media. (laughs) So whatever the next one is, that'll be uh, the thing I jump on. Vine 2. Isn't that already out? Is there a Vine 2? I think they had to go and TikTok thought, nah, that's okay. You don't have the music rights. Yeah, it's Something too late like now. You, you, can't. you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. How's your TikTok going? Pff, I don't do it. I don't know anything about it. It's I'm too old for that shit. What? I don't get it. Just get one of your guys to clip up your old clips and, and put them on there. That's, that's a, a good really way good to idea. get to like 200,000 followers. That's great. Thank you for the advice. I already tried to implement that, but because I am so bad at leadership and my audience, obviously, like the rest of everybody else that works for me is just on this constant cycle of routine, they couldn't get it through their heads to do that. So I've got to say that it is amazing that you do something that they don't, which is not live in a hamster wheel on their own device. Yeah, well. So, and I think actually, because I was just asking before we stopped and started again, what's your recipe to success? That pretty much is it, isn't it? You, you, you've evolved from a hamster to a rabbit. Mm. You can move around. I've, uh, I've undergone the necessary mutation to survive <laughs> in the new environment. And you haven't. And that is... I've evolved... <laughs> that's, that's the tail of our generation. I've evolved the tail to help me balance in the savannah, whereas you're still living in the grasslands. No, the climate has changed, Jordan. You've got no, you, you to you evolve. Oh, I'm a species. I'm I'm gone. It's like it was a miracle that I got onto YouTube. Let's just keep, you know count our blessings where we can. You did very well. Now you know what it feels like to what be the boomer on the new format. I know what that trouble I do. was. I do. Constantly behind the trend. It's it's. it's uh, what's uh, this Australians be like? Yeah, I'll give that a go. Oh, it didn't work. And I wonder why. Yeah, it's not nice. <laughs> it's just not nice. Least. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen how Gen Z um, has these tropes that they attack millennials for? And they're really funny. Whenever Gen Z are attacking millennials, they always say things like, oh, I'm a millennial. <laughs> Adulting. Oh, avocado on toast. Yeah, how good fair. is Harry Potter? Fair, fair. <laughs> wow. They got our number. That's the perfect dissemination and criticism of millennials. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much just that laugh to everything. <laughs> I blame Hamish and Andy for it. Yeah, just uh, all these grand political, social ideas without being able to adult. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sums up the millennial generation. I wish I was so Gen you have Z. Any ammunition against I them. needed to yeah. be two years older and I was Gen Z. When does, Gen, does Gen Z start at 96? Oh, God, who knows? It changes all the time. You go and look at the Bureau of Statistics. There's like this five-year gap between baby boomers and Gen X. So it'll be the same. It change around. Yeah, well, I'm 94. So if it was 96, two years, mum and dad you got busy too early. Yeah, sold you out. Mm. And I think they did, actually. I'm forever angry at my parents for not doing that. Just... Holding it in your pants for another few years. I reckon my life would be completely different. Okay, you 
were a celebrity in first year uni. Yeah. I was a celebrity like a year out of uni. Oh, okay. But yeah, now but I think that you can be a celebrity in primary school. You can be a celebrity at... Well, wait, I was about to say you can be a celebrity in high school, but you beat me to it. Yeah. Um, well, that's just that's just par for the course now. Who isn't a celebrity in high school? You would think it would be great being a celebrity in first year uni, but no. I feel like if I was actually living on campus in a college, it would have been amazing. Well, yeah, you missed but out on those experiences. No, I... Um, but you made up I for it in got... snorting coke in public toilets in Brighton. And that's every university kid's dream during well, the gap year. No, not not Brighton specifically, but <laughs> definitely done that. But you, you did it to her. <laughs> As it were. I think that that's, I like, I know that you think that that's like bad. And I suppose it's one of those grasses always greener on the other side. But as we have to point out every time when we get to this juncture in the podcast. I think being a celebrity in Australia before our generation, you would have been lucky to get there by 30. Very lucky. That would be the young gun. That would be you. So there would have been 12 years of unnecessary struggling that you were able to short circuit. That's true. Um, in America, it would be even worse because there would be the young guns, but they'd be getting fucked to death at the Illuminati parties yeah. by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> so, I look, I circumnavigated that. I circumnavigated the Illuminati orgies and still became a celebrity. How <laughs> I've not been infiltrated by the deep state or Steven Spielberg's dick. I mean, you know, that's what someone would say if they were part of it, but, yeah, I could vouch for him. I know I'm Maybe outside the, of these yeah, contexts. The deep state has become self-aware and they know that it's now popular to... to to rally against the deep state. So they tell their actors, hey, talk about how much you're with the people and against <laughs> yes, the deep state. Yes, From the guy that was giving acting tips in the last episode. So, the, the, uh, look, I, I think That's that you, I was. you were. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, No, you I'm really glad them. that you have made that jump. It would be very interesting to see if you're agile enough at the age of 60 just getting onto what I assume is an logical step of blip. Which will just be you have one frame, one miller frame, and people just have to use their mind to guess what it is. Kind of just like one image of a magic eye. Because where do you go from no, here? Look, where does the attention span reduce to? I think I, you were on the cusp of people just young enough to get onto YouTube without people raising their eyebrows. And I think I'm just on the cusp of the kind of people to get onto TikTok without people raising their eyebrows. But if I was uh, whatever the next one is, in five years, that all the kids are on. Eyebrows I can't be, be thirty. No, I can't be. Th I, uh, some people can be thirty and look a lot younger and get on mm. there. If they're on there, then they're the old person on the social media platform, and you don't want to be that. Why? Well, because then you you know you you're the outcast, and you got to make fun of yourself, and it's it's demeaning. Yeah. In the <laughs> same way, if you're the Gen Z person on, I don't know. Q&A or something like that, you'd be the person everyone just looks Dismisses. at. Yeah, exactly. Right. Whereas if you're the yeah. boomer on TikTok, you get dismissed. So I don't want to get dismissed. So what's a millennial's natural home then? You know what though? Blogs huh? and Twitter. Blogs and Twitter. <sighs> That's so Podcast. Our generation is just demeaning. Yeah. I'm really ashamed to be a part of it. And I don't know if that is a classic millennial I trope. And frankly, I don't want to know. No, I really, like I said, I wish I was two years younger. 
wherever the cutoff is, some people say it's 96, some say 98, whatever it was, it would have been great to be Gen Z, but yeah. look, fine, I'm a, I'm a millennial, adulting, <laughs> avocado on toast. <laughs> I hated Harry Potter. I didn't hate it. I just never got into it to the same extent other people did. I've got to say, that's pretty controversial. Really? Were you? Well, were you in the millennials, people? obviously, because it's a trope. Yeah. Look. It just didn't. I don't know. It's like cool. He's got a scar and he does spells. Yeah. What's What's not cool about that? Uh, I was reading uh, the other fantasy books, Del Toro Quest. I, we've oh, talked about that's this on other right. podcasts. Del Toro Quest. And um, there was uh, the Stormbreaker series. I was obsessed with that when I was a kid. Yeah, how underground. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, different video games I was playing. I just never really got into Harry Potter. Look, Love I Star have Wars. heard of it since, but it, it's it's some, to, to be even more of a millennial trope, it's some rare Pepe stuff. I think that you've got... if if, if The only thing that I think is makes you more of an outcast in our generation is not being into Pokemon. I didn't mind but Pokemon, but such... I wasn't, like, obsessed with it. You are obsessed with Dragon Ball Z. No. Oh, actually, when the really original Pokemon came out, yeah, um, it was gold, I think, on Game Boy Advance. Yeah. No, Game Boy Color. Yeah. I played that a lot. And then no, when it came out on the Nintendo DS, it was either Pearl or Diamond. I played that that one a lot. Those were the two variations I really enjoyed. The others I never... I never got into red, blue, and green, which were the big ones. Yeah, they were the big ones. Yeah. Well, green was—I think green was only existed in Chinatown. Where did you get that? Yeah, everyone like all my friends had blue. <laughs> yeah. I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I this—we're going way back in the memory bank here. I, I think. <laughs> it is a shocking turn of events because everyone had the Charizard where I was around. I was a real oh, okay. outcast for getting blue. Oh, well, there you should have grown up in um, South East Sydney. Makes the king sense. of the mounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, you you want to talk about difficult people. Is that correct? I do want to talk about them. And all right. Well, where do we even start? Are you talking about just uh, you know where generally we difficult people? P- yeah. Difficult people in, in work environments or, you they know. They carry themselves the everywhere. They're difficult people. I want to start with. You don't have to name anyone, Neil, but just give me a quick sketch of one of the most difficult people you've ever met. Um, all right. I'll talk about someone who I knew in a, well, in more of an intimate context quite recently, who... Um, you give it a lot away. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's up to you. Uh, it was my fault more than anything, actually. Uh, uh, actually, you know what? Let's talk about her friend. No, it wasn't even her friend. It was someone who... Thought she was my friend and then became her friend because, you know, difficult people probably are, uh, you know, gravitate towards other difficult people. But look, let's just say completely, to, to make it brief, um, you know how you always say, know thyself? Mm. Did the, the antithesis of that mm-hmm. had absolutely no self-awareness, uh, really cocky without any reason to be, thought she was way better than she was in a variety of factors, looks and personality, everything. Couldn't understand basic social cues. I really, she she just didn't, she completely overestimated the relationship we even had. And then 
because she wasn't even a really close friend, I couldn't exactly say, hey, look, this is getting a bit much. Look, I'm being vague here, but she was, she was just frustrating to deal with. Can you give me a specific example? All right, or is so, that too okay, far? Okay, okay, okay. okay. Everyone who uh, usually comes to my Thursday show, mm, quick plug there. Uh, Not bad. Every week in Thursday, on Thursday in Sydney. Um, all of my friends who come, they will message me and say something like, hey, we're coming to your show on Thursday. And I'll be like, oh, hey, look, I'll, I'll get you some tickets. Mm. And they're like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Um, we're happy to pay. Now, I don't mm. expect people to say we're happy to pay. That's very nice of them. Um, I always double down and offer the tickets, but if they say they're happy to pay twice, then I'm like, all right, cool, pay. And, and then It's the classic Seinfeld <laughs> yeah, sketch. How many times? And then, um, <laughs> But the point is they don't, they don't ask me expecting for free tickets. No, not even my best friends would do that. And she was asking me saying, hey, so can I get some tickets for this Thursday? Can I come? What time do I show up? Just mm. like the entitlement. Mm. This is a very like mundane example. I'm sure if I go further in my memory bank, there'd be someone who's a lot worse. But that is, I have. You don't understand basic social skills. No, and I didn't want to look. I didn't because I'm not that friendly with her. I couldn't exactly say, "Hey, this is inappropriate," because that would be weird. So I just sort of said, "Hey, look, it's hard." I I didn't lie. I don't like lying either. So I said, uh, "Yeah, I'll let you know if there's some." Tickets are still available. I can give you some, mm. and they didn't sell out. So then I actually did end up giving it the tickets. Um, it was just a confusing. It was such a look. If it was a close friend saying that, I'd say, "Hey, look, no." Or if it was someone I knew better, I'd say, "Hey, do you mind paying?" Because I'd have that relationship and that rapport with them. Whereas if it was someone I completely didn't know, I'd say, "No, you can't just get free tickets. I don't even know you." It was because she was that weird middle ground. I didn't. I was like, uh. I guess. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. I just found that person really difficult and, and weird. And then always victimize it. it. Difficult people always victimize themselves. Mm. Anyway, this is your topic. So I don't know if that gave your topic justice. That really no, it does. Because I'm just story, trying but... to map out what a difficult person is and what the traits that they share are. And I think you just nailed it as a sentence. The person doesn't know thyself. That person is extremely unaware. And... It doesn't seem like they're just unaware in one aspect either. It doesn't even seem like they're unaware in social skills. It seems like every that that unawareness has extended out to the rest of their life. Mm. And now that I think about it, it's even the same thing with dogs that are annoying. It's the same thing as people that, now. Like when you're saying that, there's people in my mind that usually spring to it that have the same trait. I think they don't understand. It's 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 just this frustrating thing of. You're not supposed to do that. Why are you doing it? That's exactly <laughs> like, it. It's just common decency. That's like, exactly the way to put it. Like, oh, man. I don't expect even babies to be doing this. You, you, you've nailed it there. That's the perfect reaction. It's that feel. It's actually really hard to describe in the scope and like vehemency that you want to how frustrating unawareness is when they just... Because and also especially like trying to explain that to them, they're clearly unaware. Mm. So there's no point in explaining it to them. Exactly. But what's worse is when you see someone like that succeeding in life, 
which I know a couple of, that are doing really well, and I think it is because of their unawareness. Because they kind of just go through life doing what you just said then. of like, can I have these tickets? Can I have this sick job? Oh, why not? So ha- they have an ignorant confidence about them. They have an ignorant no confidence really that them propels them forward. It's like what Bill Burr was saying about Hitler, how he thinks that every time he sees a crazy person on the bus, he always thinks there's probably not that much of a difference between him and Hitler. It's just Hitler kept rising up. Because everyone would just kind of back away and think like, fuck, that guy's a bit loose. I'll just give him what he wants. Yeah. Uh, I think that that is what is happening to these people that are unaware. That's just like one area of uh, what I was thinking is is somebody who... It, look, it all extenuates to unawareness. I suppose all of like the human problems, they arise just from that basicness. That's definitely the core of it. But like another offshoot of it, of difficulty, I think, is... Uh, you just move back. Sorry. Go, you good? Go there? back. Go further back. There? Framing. Yeah, there we go. And then it does look better. There you go. Uh, there was, the other one was... Uh, people that aren't... I was thinking about this recently because I was just having like an altercation with someone. Like, can, uh, yeah. can I... Can I but in there really quickly. Yeah. You articulated it perfectly when you said you can't actually give them constructive criticism because they exist on a completely different plane of decorum and normal behavior. <laughs> so whatever we say, they will interpret it in a way that will manifest itself in a way that is not what it was intended. Manifested what? So if we say, if because they their idea of normal behavior is so vastly different if we come back at them with any sort of valid decent criticism their interpretation of that would be completely different to what we intended it to be so the effect it would have look you can't basically you can't say anything to them because Mm, mm, they mm. wouldn't know that it wouldn't compute no or it would, but it would in some different way. Maybe there is a limit to it somewhere. I'm sure that at some point these people will be punished. What does this person do for a living? Can we know that? <laughs> that gives away too much. Trying to be an actor. Well, always yeah, a Slash case. model. Yeah, well, <laughs> damn. And doesn't have the looks to back it up. Oh, nah. Nah. Fuck. Well, there might be some justice in that regard. I think it's usually the ones that are trying to get into something like the corporate world or places where there is like this, these very set rules in place that you can kind of bolster yourself through. It's kind of easy to pawn people off in the acting world. The other one that I was thinking is, um, I think, because I've just been dealing with a lot of difficult people recently, and I notice that they all have something in common, which is they all have this need for control in their life. And I understand that every human being has a need or some yeah. variant of they want stability because with stability comes that feeling of certainty that you have that uh, tomorrow you're going to wake up and your surroundings are going to be the same and you're going to have like a certain level of comfort mm. where you're not going to be like, fuck, I need to get a house or whatever. Yeah, I understand that there's that. But 
I think as we were discussing before, a lot of this is an illusion in your head. And yeah, and there, I'm sure there'd be some uh, deep psychological explanation for why those difficult people in particular feel that urge to control everyone and, and, and that desire to have control in their life more so than the average person. Maybe they lacked control when they were younger or uh, they feel like they're not in control in other significant aspects of their life. But I think you're right. I think people who are difficult to deal with, that difficulty is often born out of some sort of dictator dictatorial urges that they have. And they're trying to control everything and everyone. Yeah. And I think that the reason that they're trying to control other people is, I think that that's actually, when I look back at it, it's pretty unconscious. Or like they're trying to control a situation. Yeah. I don't even think they're thinking about it. No, I agree. There's no, there's no well, because there's malicious a, intent there. There's a complete lack of self-awareness, so they're definitely not thinking about it. No. But the thing is also, a lot of difficult people that I know are very intelligent. Yeah. They're not stupid people. They're just kind That's of true. unaware of them th 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 themselves and what controls them. Dude, it might well, even be just this simple of just like, again, like reading self-help, but like maybe you just need to be aware of how human beings behave and if you don't study that, that you, you don't get it. Well, they may be intelligent in other uh, conceptions, but they lack social intelligence. So is social intelligence then just being aware of your surroundings? It probably is. Social intelligence would encompass things like emotional intelligence and also just uh, being able to interact with someone, but be uh, not, you know, live in the be in the moment of that particular conversation and read nonverbal cues and understand various uh, the the subtext that may be going on and understand the emotions of the other person and. I'm sure a psychologist could give you a full array of No, but that's uh, pretty that, much it. Yeah. That'd be close to it. Encompass emotional and social intelligence, but yeah, generally there would well, I don't know if there'd actually be a correlation between emotional intelligence and um your basic IQ because no. people who are super geniuses often struggle they are difficult to interact people. with people. That's something often. that you hear over and over again. They are difficult to be around. Mm. I don't know what the actual urge... Look, what I've noticed, though, is, yes, like it seems that dumb, difficult people are unaware of their circumstances. Yeah, and I think that like when it comes to intelligent people, the thing that they are unaware of is social and emotional intelligence. And you know what else as well? I think that they're actually unaware... I guess part of emotional intelligence is how you're feeling. I think that... I think that difficult people that yearn for control... I don't think that they really understand how they feel. A lot of it is subconscious. So I'll give you the example. Yeah. I'm like, really, who cares? It doesn't really take that much to figure out what it is. But one of my editors recently quit, right? Well, which one? <laughs> you know, like there's one of two, but whatever. One of them did. And I noticed it all just kind of clicked later on. And there's obviously like an unawareness in me as well, because just you know, that's all human beings, but Jesus, the, the level of unawareness. So they were constantly saying, you know, 
some, you know, constantly externalizing it, just being like, I think this person's going to quit. I think this person's going to quit. I think this person's going to quit. And you're just like, what's what's odd thing to say? Constantly be honing in on it, coming up with these grandiose conspiracy theories about why other people would be quitting. Then what happened, this is like a long process, like an eight-month process. They started becoming extremely short, snippy, disrespectful, uh, demanding... (laughs) This sounds like a relationship that's going bad. Yeah. And well, then it the is. the girl just becomes really, um, gives you those offhand comments all the time, those snarky, uh, nagging comments without actually just, and then finally she just bursts out and says, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> is that what happened? Yeah, pretty well. Damn. No, no. You, you know what broke, else? No, this just got broken yeah, up I got with. broken up with. Definitely. I, that is, I got dumped. But I think that that's. All relationships follow the same template. It's just there's sex involved with a relation, like the significant other relationship. But pretty much they're all the same. Well, someone's getting fucked in a work environment. Aren't they? It turns out it was me. But it took a while, though, actually. I've been fucking them for a while. But they... <laughs> it's just the dynamic, isn't it? But they... Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you did to alleviate the situation. Like... I, Overly compensating, overly nice, overly generous, just seeding into all of their demands, basically to try and keep things back on track. Yeah. And then eventually, as you said, just one day waiting for actually, this is the other thing, waiting for the permission in their head to justify all of that behavior. Because Mm. I I just turned around one day and snapped and was just like, you're being a dick. And they just went, that's it. Took their tools, left the side. That's so dramatic. Yeah. Fuck. But it was one sentence, you know? And the same thing is like in my role, particularly as a political commentator, my entire life is being constantly inundated with criticism. Just this barrage, entire threads, newspapers just aimed at criticizing. Especially you. Yeah, right? You are a real unique ace because you've come through this new medium and you offer this very unique perspective. So you're getting criticized and lampooned from all sides of politics. You know, people either love you or they hate you. Which is, I suppose, what always happens thing. with like commentators. There's definitely that. But I think that's a good thing. Oh, definitely. You look, it, it's it's really you, your job is to be provocative, I suppose. But you're not even trying to be anyway. But the thing is that that happens on a daily basis. And I think that as a result of that, uh, your your tolerance level is high for criticism, yeah. which I think is a good thing. Were they criticizing you on the content of your work or were they criticizing you on the uh, your behavior as their boss, basically? Both. Everything. Everything yeah, and everything. Okay. Nothing's ever good enough. That it, that just happens after a while. Nothing's ever good enough. It actually <laughs> sounds like you just like got divorced. <laughs> nothing's ever good enough with you, is it? Oh, I'm trying my best. Just tell me. <laughs> you never tell me directly what you want. I'm done. Dude, you just got divorced. Yeah. You got divorced. Straight it, up. It sounds like they might have had an... Uh, Eliza was actually talking about this on the other podcast. Ooh, sneaky plug. Um, I think it might be called ne- negative behavioral bias or something where they only then... Once they've got in their head that this person is this certain way, they'll uh, then they'll get a confirmation bias for whatever behavioral traits you showcase that just confirm their idea of you. Mm, so mm. every time you show something other than that, they think it's an outlier. Whereas the the reality of the situation may be that, you know, you're somewhere in the middle there. 
I mean, look, I don't know. I'd have to hear his side of the story. I don't know what you were thinking. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. like yeah, there's always two sides. <laughs> but the, I, I think that like if, if there's one trait that I can say I have, I've got a lot of traits that I don't like, but I think that one of them is I can cop a lot of criticism. I think that that's something that I can definitely do. And I think that that's, you know, it, it's what a healthy human being does if they're able to grow. In fact, I kind of pride yeah. my identity over the fact that I can sit there and, and people just be like, you're shit for these reasons. Like, like, okay, all right. Thank you very much for that. Do you think, <laughs> do, do, you, do you ever, do you think that you sometimes, you know, because by saying you can cop the criticism, do you take it on board or are you still able to sift through what's valid criticism and what's invalid character attacks? You know, that's something I struggle with when I look through comments, when I read the um, direct messages I get that are um, passionate criticism against me. My immediate reaction is to get defensive, but then I always have to try to ask myself, all right, is this valid, um, discernible, um, helpful criticism, or is it just someone... Um, projecting their insecurities and their just emotional dislike of me into a semblance of something they think is a valid criticism. I mean, it becomes pretty obvious after a while, doesn't it? Because there's some criticism, maybe 1% of it is very specific. And yeah. 99 is, you suck. You are a homo. It's just that. <laughs> do, you, do you get those comments? <laughs> <laughs> of course, criticizing man. you. <laughs> 12-year-olds from Bankstown. <laughs> friendly Jordies is our Friendly Jordies sucks dick. Yeah, there's got to be a reason that I could take so much of it, right? It is funny you're getting called a homo regularly. Um, <laughs> Damn. I think that what happened, and I, th- I think this is it's just like... Sorry, I'm just still laughing people. Homo, like it's, it's an amazing insult, isn't it? Political substance that you posed, and someone's like, "You're gay." What a retard! <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever think? I know, this is just a quick segue. Do you ever think sometimes those really childish, now very offensive anti PC insults are actually just really funny? Yeah, <laughs> I love them. You're gay. <laughs> you're the best. You can't come back again. No. <laughs> if you're like, "Well, that's homophobic." See, I told you, you're gay. <laughs> In fact, actually, I'll give you. I'll give you something. Like, it's like, bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> Look, just... you're a retard. <laughs> well, no, actually, I'm very intelligent. That's something a retard would say. <laughs> Dude, those insults are like the, calling someone racist or SJW or whatever because whatever retort they have to that, it just proves the point. <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> you know, uh, recently, I guess this is like a little exclusive. I'm talking about it soon, but. Mm-hmm. Someone in the National Party contacted us and Ooh. said, you're, you're right about John Barilaro being a massive hypocrite on political correctness. He calls you, he refers to you as, quote, the Labour faggot. <laughs> and, and I was just like, dude, why don't you just say that publicly? Like, there, as you were saying, there is no better comeback to being accused of widespread multi-million dollar corruption than, oh, shut the fuck up, you homo. That's like... <laughs> Yeah, You're like, ruining it, you faggot. The labor faggot. <laughs> Dude, that's just... just like you, I'm literally your, on board with it. Your Twitter, can you make that your Twitter? Labor handle? faggot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> labor faggot. 
I mean, look, uh, this is all alleged. Maybe you said it, maybe you didn't. My point is you should say it. You should say that when you get, like, n- there's nothing else to say. At that point, go for the most childish insult you can. There's yeah. true power in it. Your mum's fat. <laughs> no, she's, she's not. Uh, that's something you would say if your mum was fat. Yes, she is. It's my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's relative. <laughs> All right. Well- <laughs> uh, okay, okay. If I think she's fat, she's fat. Yeah, they 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 are the masters of it. <laughs> yeah. Getting under skin is yeah. so good. <laughs> so good. All right. Well, go- <laughs> uh, okay. So this person's a difficult. Were they always? So you've worked with them for a few years, I assume. Were they always like that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Always, and uh, and I think that the common denominator is that locus and desire for control. And I think that what happened this year, and this is why, and you really see the differences in personalities because the going got tough this year, as in things oh, are yeah. just coming through us at all angles, and uh, well, I guess on top of COVID, but like a like a lot of certainty was removed this year and there's been a lot of uh, the, the ramp ups of legal threats and just attacks in the press and stuff that that's all escalated um and i just realized and this is something that i think is just uh, like a, a key cornerstone of success i think you've got to be flexible man i think that the opposite of someone who is difficult is someone who's flexible is kind of just like, this is the terrain. Okay, well, let's wade through that. Oh, now this is the terrain. Oh, okay, we'll wade through that. Yeah. Whereas like a difficult they're person adaptive. sits there, they're adapting. Socially adaptive. They're ad- yeah, that. exactly. A difficult person is always just sitting there being like, no, but this is the map. This is the map. It doesn't suit the terrain. I'm sticking to the map. I think that that's what happens with those people. And as a result of that, because the terrain is changing and they're not changing, they're stuck with whatever the map is. Their little map in their head, that's what they're going to carry out for the rest of their life. Can I ask, you don't, if you know, if it's if it's a bit personal, you don't have to answer it, but what were their criticisms of you? See, this is the thing. I think that there was just like, okay, lack of structure. Totally on board with that. There is definitely a lack of structure at Friendly Geordies. And when you say structure, just organisation and management and just... Um, consistency is that what we're talking about yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah you can definitely say that but my retort to that is the infrastructure is all there and as when you are in the business of commenting on news you know big shit happens you got to comment on it yeah sorry and do you were they getting paid but per video or were they getting no they got a, a salary yeah okay well then well then they've got that consistency i know but they, in their heads, because they have this like constant need for control, they are thinking, oh, okay, there's more criticism on him, which like, you know, other people in the, in the, uh, in the organization sit there and they think, that's great. That means you're having an impact. Yeah. If you're getting more criticism. Yeah. To them, they see that as, fuck, my income is like on tenderhooks here or whatever. They build that story up in their head. And then I think that what happens with these people well, is they <laughs> jump before they're pushed. And no one's going to... Um, you know, if you do say, if you say even more outlandish things, I don't know how much more outlandish you <laughs> can say right now, but say you did get some legal battle you had to endure or, uh, you had the worst possible attack in the press. No one is going to be sitting there being like, you know, who's really at fault here? The editor. 
Yeah. They're coming at you personally. Yeah. They're not yeah. really coming for the people behind <laughs> the scenes there. Yes. So in a weird way, they're, they're well, I wouldn't say they're bulletproof, but their reputation will never be tarnished. No. But I think that as a result of that, of not putting themselves out there, the the need for expansion in their life isn't there. Mm. And so I think that what happens is if you don't have this desire to expand in life, you become more crotchety the older you get. You know, we were ta- I think we we're talking about this before. You know how there's like two types of old people? Yes, the bitter, angry, cranky ones. Bitter, angry, cranky ones and legends. Kind, yeah. Ones. That's it. Yeah. I really think that the real difference that it comes down to is that the bitter, angry ones have regrets. Never got, they have regrets. And that came from this fact of just being like, I want my life to look like this. Why isn't it looking like this? Now I'm older. This sucks. Fuck. Like the, the guy that reads the news is different. Like they. they <laughs> <laughs> the guy. <laughs> I think. Who's this labor faggot? Yeah. I think that's it. I'm going to start calling you that. Labor this faggot. Now, I mean, it's this amazing. podcast is now Neil and Labor and faggot. faggot. <laughs> it's, yeah. You've got to do it. That's actually so funny. John, what are you doing? why are you keeping this gold a secret? I swear you could re-win election just on that. He's a faggot. There's a there's a reason like those those guys are able to like get teachers that are what like four or five times their age really pissed off. This is Neil identified. There is no comeback. I I actually don't know what you're supposed to do in that scenario. I think the, all you can do is just laugh along. Mm. That's it. That's what the really wizened teachers do. They're just like yeah okay anyway. And I'm yeah. like what was that? That's like, that only... makes the situation hilarious. All of those, teacher. yeah, those childish insults. I think it's the subtext that's really at work there. It's, uh, hey, can you take this playful jab and roll with the punch? Mm. But if you get mm. either super insulted or if uh, in any in any direction, then that shows you lack mental fortitude. Yeah. Whereas if someone's like, yeah, you're gay, you're like, yeah, I am. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I sucked your dad's dick or oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah which their response yeah and they do always every time you the teacher has that response they're like oh what and they do respect you as a result and that is man it is just result it is just like another example of flexibility in a situation this piece of stimulus happened i'm able to navigate around that piece of stimulus instead of just shutting down in front of it hmm it's actually one of the main points of the Tao Te Ching. In fact, it's pretty much the only point that I can remember from it. He's always saying that, that things that are alive are limber. Things that are dead are stiff. Mm. And, and, and you know, the, the insecurity of the job market now, let alone in another 10, 15, 20 years, is just creating an even more of a um, need for that kind of social adaptability. Yeah. Because you're going to have to constantly be changing your work behavior and, and, and just your general demeanor based on the new environments you're going to be inevitably experiencing. Man, you know what? I think that that was like a big gripe of theirs, that they didn't have that nine to five. And, and sorry, by the way, so, okay, so they said you lacked structure. What else were they saying? And, and uh, the, the business lacked structure. 
yeah, the business like structure. Uh, no, that that was it. That was, that was I it. swear that was it. They they lack structure. But what structure come back to? It comes back to control. And what was was there any specifics to that? Were they saying, "Oh, I'd rather have you know have eight hour days every day"? Was it the workload sort of you know if a big smear came out against you, then it was suddenly twelve hour days for a few days, and then a few four hour days the next week? Was was that the sort of no? The structure was kind of like this: you're doing three videos this week. This week you're doing no videos. So it'd be uh, okay. kind of like, you know, you have to work like a hundred hours this week and then the next week would be like, you're working nothing. Yeah. Okay. Look, I can understand if you wanted, if you wanted a more consistent workflow, I get how that would be frustrating, but then they'd have to just leave. They can't force you to change a business model that's been so successful for you. Because that is the model. Then they just have to go and work at a um, media production company. But even then I've heard then there's nothing rigid and structured about those organizations, they have insane deadlines and they'll, I know editors who'll be working, you know, two days straight without any sleep just before a deadline and all sorts of things see, like that. It's see. just, unfortunately, the nature of um, That's media. The, the, the media, yeah. Um, because, and that's the other thing, it's just like, as we were just commenting before, things are just so on demand now. There used to be that kind of structure. I remember even journalists talking about it, that, you know, you did your one article a day, you went home at five. That that was possible. Mm. Now, if you want to succeed in the current climate, you've just got to be constantly typing and posting all the time. <laughs> so there is no off button. So really mm. what they're yearning for, and I think that this is what happened, is that they had this idea in their head implanted from their parents that you're supposed to be working these many hours for this long uh, and you're supposed to be earning this much. And I think that a lot of other things play into that. But the reality of the situation now is... Uh, you work heaps and you get paid heaps. And I don't think that that is actually computed in a lot of people's heads yet, that like the rewards are disproportionate, but so is the investment in time. But they were getting the consistent paycheck every week, right? You said that you, you had them on a salary, you didn't have them on a per video Yeah, but pay it was basis. a lot more than most. Like yeah, a, a no, hell I'm actually, of a lot more than most From what you told editors. me, yeah, you you very generous. Um. Yeah, it'd be a bit weird if you're calling out all the um, corporations and then you give them like 10, 10, <laughs> yeah, friendly Geordies pays his staff four dollars an hour. What do you think I got here? The slave yeah. labor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really put yourself in a box there. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Look, I'm just kind of using it to illustrate the point that, like, if if. I, I think that like people just come up with these these rules in their head. They have these rules of what their life is supposed to look like. And I have them, you have them, everyone has them. Hmm. But man, rules were made to be broken. And if you understand that in life, I think that you're going to get a hell of a lot further ahead. And it means you're not a faggot. It means you're not a faggot. <laughs> damn so like th that's one aspect then yeah the other one is just like unawareness and there's it really seems like in your friend's instant or whatever that's not going to change there's nothing they can do about yeah, that when there's certain people that just can't understand basic social cues now look 
granted, I could be the one that is uh, interpreting the situation in what many people would objectively say is the incorrect way. However, I was able to sort of cross-reference my perception of her with other people that were on the periphery or might have known her personally. And we all agreed this person is a bit socially clueless. Right. So part of me felt bad, but part of me was also extremely frustrated every time I had to deal with her. Of course. Um, I don't think, like you said, I don't think she was doing it consciously. In fact, I'm certain she wasn't. So that's where I did have a lot of empathy. I, I actually just felt bad. Um, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't extremely frustrating and would just make me... I, sometimes I just read her messages and just be irate with the stupidity of the things she was saying. Now, that's also a me. I shouldn't let it be emotionally reacting to a message in that way. But, look, it's the it's the biggest white girl cliche out there, but, like, you've you got to cut out the toxic people in your life. You do. You Even do. if it was the case that I was the difficult person there and subjectively I'm interpreting this as, that, as though she's the difficult person, it's still not no benefit was coming out of the two of us having a relationship. Therefore, the sensible thing to do was just to cut that person out. Um, then if I was the one in the wrong there, hopefully I would eventually realize that and, and discover that and maybe that friend breakup could have been the catalyst for that. But no, like I said, I was able to sort of talk with other people and I, I don't think it was me. <laughs> I'm sure most people in these situations wouldn't think it was them um well, yeah. you know what it might actually be There's a lot then. of difficult people there is a lot of difficult but it might actually be deeper than that it might actually just be the the ever pervasive problem in life of delusion i mean somebody who's trying to be an actor and a model and doesn't have the looks to back it up There's a lot of delusion going on there well i suppose that's another yeah. way of saying that they're just like holding on to a map that doesn't exist yeah, I'm sure there if you if there was some deep seated psychological um trauma. Well, trauma's a strong word. There were some issues that probably needed to be dealt with. I think most people who have uh, negative social traits they probably comes from some sort of social or emotional deficiency they experienced in childhood or in their teenage years. I'm not I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not an expert on that at all, as I prefaced at the start of this podcast. But if you don't believe me, then you're a faggot. Okay, I can't stop saying that. All right. Okay, I'll write an academic paper. If you give me a negative peer review, you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> Honorary degree out of fear. <laughs> yeah, just bully, bully them. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I I actually am very glad that I was just like uh, thinking about what constitutes as a difficult person because I'm just trying to think what you can do. And, and you know what I think is the telltale sign of someone who's difficult? Do they have any long-term relationships in their life? Long-term relationship doesn't even mean a significant other relationship if they're just constantly darting between different people or just don't have that many friends obviously that's going to be such a big sign isn't it 
Yeah, that's sad if they don't have many friends. That's, but uh, yeah, generally you 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 would be fair to assume that difficult people would struggle to make friends. How does someone? How, okay, this is an interesting question to pose. How do you know if? How can you be sure that you're not a difficult person? How can I be sure that in any given situation? Because I'm sure in some social interactions, I've been difficult. I'm sure everyone's been difficult at some point in their life, whether they're enduring some sort of stress or they're going through a rough time or there's just one particular person that they can't socially gel with. How do you discern, much like the previous question where how do you discern valid criticism from uh, just, you know, malicious attacks, how can you uh, properly ascertain who a difficult person is in any difficult situation you may be experiencing? No, oh, in like an isolated position, in an isolated situation. Yeah, so I guess that's the first thing you'd you'd go towards is if you have any mutual acquaintances or friends, you can kind of generate a a more collective view about who the difficult person may be. But that's not always foolproof. But yeah, if it's just a purely one-on-one situation and you there's tension, there's stress, there's there's fighting, there's frustration. Um, pause there for a second. I don't know what this is going on there. All right, I'm good now. Um, so there's fighting, there's tension, there's there's stress. How do you know you... You're not being the difficult one. Now, I'm not saying, you know, in your situation, you need to ask. I'm just saying, generally speaking, because, I, like I said, I could have been, maybe I had high expectations for the behavior I expect from someone who's I would consider acquaintance. How, do you, how does one know that they're not a difficult person themselves? Maybe maybe it's like how much are you closing how much are you initiating a shutdown? Could just be the opposite of theater sports. <laughs> Cause theater sports, right? It's all about yes and yes but yeah, it's all about yes, it's always about extending the offer. That's what makes good theater sports, that's what makes good improvisation. Yeah. Just saying so, everything that's awesome and going along with it, yeah. whatever the end result is, I suppose. So if you're if you're too cynical, it's going to extend into the rest of your life. If you're constantly sitting there thinking, "Well, what's the problem with that? That sucks. That's shit for that reason." It's people don't like that. <laughs> you, you know and like after a while it's gonna it's gonna extend into your relationships that 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 poisonous outlook on life is going to have impacts on the rest of it surely but even that just just shutting down opportunities that are given to you yeah that's difficult in itself uh yeah I, and i i don't want to, to do that yeah going back to your example you'd be hard pressed to Again, I'd have to hear everyone's side to make a proper objective judgment here, but when you're working for a given organization that operates in a certain way, you have to expect that. Like, you can you could probably give suggestions there, but 
understand that if you're not in the position of authority there, you need to yield to whoever is in the position of authority. And if you still detest the structure of a particular business, then you should probably leave, which he did, it sounds like. Mm. And there probably didn't need to be all that unnecessary tension for so long. If, if, if he didn't like the structure of the way you were doing things, that fundamentally wasn't going to change. There can be incremental changes here and there, sure, but... An institution is an institution. Yeah, exactly. Maybe this is this maybe this is a big flaw with Gen Z and, and, and Gen Y where we're seeking too much institutional systemic changes without actually adhering to the proper authorities and understanding why some of those institutions and structures exist in the first place and also looking at the positives of some of those structures and institutions, we may just feel uncomfortable and therefore we want to change the whole system. But that's, you know, talking about things on a much broader scale. And that's actually what a lot of, coming back to, you know, the guy, we Jordan Peterson talks about that sort of stuff, you know. People who haven't cleaned their room wanting to change the world or wanting to change an institution or a structure or a culture when they can't even get their own, if like you said, they don't even have friends. Yeah. How can you change how can you say you know what's best for the world when you don't know what's best in your personal life? Yeah, you can't even hold a relationship together. That has to be a big 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 part of uh it it is just managing relationships. That's all the difficulty comes down to. And actually, now that I remember it, John Gottman was always saying that he could predict if a relationship was going to crumble based purely on how many times he saw like a bid, a bid being any gesture of communication, touch, well, I suppose just any version of communication, so verbal, physical, anything like that, how often that was shut down. And he was saying that for every seven positive interactions, there can be one negative interaction, but anything less than that, and the relationship starts to deteriorate. So actually... Difficult people are people that are just constantly shutting down bids. I guess that's what I'm saying with like improv, right? Like it's it's an offer. Yeah. That is an offer every time that you're saying, hey, this is a teapot, you know, and you're just like, yeah, that's a teapot. That that keeps going. I guess that's life. Like, dude, life is just one long improv and people just don't understand it. <laughs> they don't understand that it is. Oh, that's You're kind of just like going off the fucking coattails at any point. Life is one giant theater sports game because there's no script. There's no script. Don't know what you're doing. You might have seen some people do it before, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be exactly the same for you. You're working with people who have different strengths and capabilities to you, but you need to work together as a team in most cases. We live in a society, yeah. <laughs> we live in a society. Um. <laughs> And you will be judged by external factors. Is there an audience? Yeah, there probably is an audience who are also playing their own improv game. <laughs> yeah, there's a like artsy university short film there. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. This is just called theatre sports. Probably, yeah. Yeah, all right. The theatre sports of life. 
Yeah. Well, okay, that's that back. Is. Yeah. Um, Technical difficulties. Fuck, there was a lot, wasn't there? Yeah. Might have to get a new recorder. Man, no, I really think that that's... You're killing it in that area. What? Well, just as we started with this, you moved on to TikTok. It's <laughs> really not that great a thing to do, is it? Well, it is. Like, as you were saying before, you could definitely, like I have, obviously, just be like, no, I'm on YouTube. YouTube's my format. You know, you can't do that. Yeah, I'm still doing YouTube. But I just think the algorithm doesn't, is really not conducive for weekly comedy sketches that are three minutes long anymore at all. No. Which is what I do. That's why this the channel that this will be going on is probably got much more growth potential because they're one to one and a half hour videos and they're pretty consistent at least twice a week. So that is much more conducive to uh, being pushed up in the algorithm. So I was able to do that as well. I adapted during lockdown as the algorithm changed. That's it. Okay, how can I change the things I do while still enjoying myself? Whereas a lot of my comedy now is just on on TikTok. I really think TikTok is the best social media platform for comedy. Mm. No, it is because that's pretty much all you want. You just want one joke and then you're out. Exactly. Yeah. And it's great for character comedy sketches. All of them, you know, Frenchies on there killing it. Uh, shooters on there destroying. He um, has 750,000 followers or something like that. Um, I think Luke at the start was absolutely killing it on there. And then I think he's still going pretty well. Lewis is doing a lot of stuff. Everyone's on there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's like... A... And I'm winning. No, shooters, shooters win. Shooters win? As you'd expect. But... Sick of that guy I'm winning. a close second. <laughs> It's usually, it's actually just the exact order of what was happening on fucking YouTube and then Facebook. And um, by the way, shout out to him. He's, um, from what I can see on Instagram, he's uh, experiencing a bit of um, mental health issues. So, you know, always been a big fan of him. And if you don't follow him already, give him a follow. He's a very, very, very talented man. Shooter. Yeah. Yeah. How old Shooter now? Like your age, I think, uh, 30, 31. Fuck, so he is know. the old guy on TikTok. I suppose Carl Sandlands is on TikTok, so is he? he is the old guy. Now all the celebrity, The Rock is on Of course The Rock Yeah, of course he is. He was probably uh, on it before you were. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you see, this is a complete tangent, but did you see when Rock endorsed uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? No. Because the cringiest video I've ever seen. They didn't say a single policy. They just said these shallow platitudes the whole way Rock was just, like, we just, need leadership yeah, more yeah than things ever. like we want to i like to see people who can lead through example and who can lead through heart and passion Damn. i think you guys have heart and you have passion i can't remember exactly what it was exact and they kept calling him dj and then, and then, <laughs> and then um, what's his name? Uh, Secular Talk, that guy. What's his name? Kyle. Kyle yeah, he did this good. He's always really funny on these. He's got like breakdown of it. <laughs> yeah, he was just saying how like, you know that the advisors were like, yeah, call him DJ. That means it'll be like they're friends. <laughs> uh... So cringe. And all the comments on The Rock's Instagram were like, Trump 2020, Trump 2020, you sold out. I was a fan of yours. Now I'm not a fan anymore. 
I on social media, I'm seeing it. Maybe it's just because the algorithm, maybe because I'm only seeing Trump stuff. What does that say about me? But um, all the comments, everything on social media, all the sort of buzz seems to still be in Trump's favor. However, the polls even more so than 2016. And by the time this podcast comes out, the election would have happened. So um, to me, it's still a, a toss up. I think. I remember we did one podcast earlier in the year. Where we're like, "Yeah, Bernie's going to win the nomination," and then he and then he didn't. Look, so. yeah, we don't know what the fuck we're saying. Uh, no I mean, no idea. one really does, do they? Actually, I actually. I do think it's a 50-50, though. I, w- I wouldn't say it's as clear as day that Biden's going to win. I will challenge it, but again, it's just because of like what I've seen recently, but I can talk about it in another podcast. Yeah. Um, but, man, I've been hearing some insane things about analytics recently. Out uh, of your analytics or what analytics? No, no, no. Like- Okay, so pretty much, we're running out of time here, but just as like a real summary. Yeah. Google has moved, well, people that used to work at Google just thought, I don't want Trump being in the White House anymore. So they moved into Biden's camp and just took jobs as like uh, uh, democratic strategists. And man, the algorithms that they have created are insane. So the thing is they were saying that last time in 2020, Donald Trump actually just had this organic meme army that came out of like yeah, 4chan yeah, yeah. and whatever, and they were killing it online. And the Democrats didn't have that good of like an online campaign because they were kind of just like, oh, we've got the media on our side and shit. Well, then the other thing is that Trump's uh, uh, digital strategists that had come up with like the most advanced campaign strategy that the world had ever seen... Um, they just defected in the last like in the last couple of years just being like Trump wasn't who we thought he'd be or whatever. And so they just gave all of their analytics and all of their like little programs and things to the Democrats. So like when I was talking to this person, they was just being like, it's it, it will be a whitewash this election. Like oh, Trump really? doesn't have any secret weapons anymore. Yeah, okay. All right, well. But I guess we'll see. Like, yeah, look know. again, I, these I are don't the same thing. Like, I, well, I don't fucking know. Like, I'm, all I'm doing is just being like, this is what happened. But the guy seemed, I, I could talk about it in another podcast. It was like really, really interesting. But yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see what happens. All the bets have been going to Trump. Well, like sports betting yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. 90% of bets are on Trump. Whoa. I wonder what that like. How do they determine that? He's a good odds. He's I think three dollars or something, um, and I'm sure they'd use polls and things. But well, so Biden's at like five or four. No, no, no. But Biden's at like a dollar something. He's the big. Favorite. Oh no, no, he's the favorite. Sorry, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, and then the I looked at the real clear, real clear poll averages or whatever, and. It was Biden on of all the polls. Biden was up seven point something percent. But then in the battleground states, Biden was on average up three point eight percent, which is exactly what Hillary was up in the uh, battleground states prior to the twenty sixteen election. And then Trump basically won all of them. Mm. So that three point eight percent is with all the polling that's been incorrect across not just America in Australia everywhere. That's enough to to think. Okay, it's not. I don't have enough confidence in that three point eight percent. It might be a bit more. That's why I say fifty fifty. But I don't know about these analytics and things. I don't know either, man. Like I just know that the game in the US is different to what it is 
uh, everywhere else in that, like, you, you know, you're just tr- trying to motivate enough people to go to the polls. That's it. Yeah. That's the whole game. Yeah. And that's why Trump did so much better than everybody expected because he had that excitement behind him. Uh, so oh, I suppose yeah. he still has the excitement behind him. But in terms of the, the, the big secret weapon that he had that no one really knows about is he had, like, this crazy analytics team. Right. And he does not have that anymore. And in fact, the Democrats have absolutely trounced it this time over because they've got the people that invented the analytics in the first place Mm. that are working for them. But look, uh, I've retired from predicting elections. I've been wrong (laughs) on every single one. Yeah, everyone has. (laughs) I know. All right, well, um, we'll wrap that one up there. Um, thank you guys for listening. Subscribe and follow, and we will we'll see you next time. Bye.